Saturday evening to you. If you didn't bring a Bible, raise your hand. Our service team will get you one. And um, if you have your Bible already, you can open to Genesis chapter 1. We start a new series here on Saturdays. We're going to do something a little different than what we're doing on Sunday mornings. We're going to do the beginning and the end. I'm going to take you verse by verse through the incredible book of Genesis and then verse by verse through the book of Revelation. So these will be... uh, Uh, Take us, you know, this year getting through Genesis, the next year through Revelation. We have the new heavens and the new earth that we see revealed in Genesis. And then there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth in the book of Revelation. And how the culmination of God's plan of redemption for mankind that starts here in Genesis from day one of creation, his plan to rescue you and I from our brokenness and sin. The Bible says actually before the foundations of the earth, before we jump into Genesis 1-1, the Lord Jesus was already had decided to go to the cross. God's this incredible being that has foreknowledge. You see, he dwells outside of time in eternity. He can see the past, the present, and the future all at once. He can talk about the future like it's today's headlines. That's the God we serve. But how big is your God? As we jump into Genesis and we look at our message in the beginning, when we have this controversial struggle that goes around with the issue of the biblical creation story and the evolution that is taught at every level of academics. And those two that are in tension, we want to talk about that elephant in the room because you can't jump into Genesis 1 and not talk about the pressure that people feel to somehow set this aside like it's, it's just poetic, it's figuratively. Uh, the Bible is literal unless it is obvious that it is giving an allegory or poetic license It's literal in Genesis and also in Revelation. So how do we reconcile that with the science that's out there? Well, I want to share with you that as we look at Genesis and we look at the creation story, both require faith, right? And my case is that I'm going to make with you is that it takes more faith to embrace evolution than it does an intelligent designer. Everything you look around this room has been designed. An architect designed this building. Somebody designed this table. Somebody designed this electric microphone. Everywhere you look, you can see the obvious of design, right? None of you would say, this microphone took about 240 million years to come out of the dirt. And it came out perfect with the right electronics. But you see, that's the answer to all evolutionary things is you just give it, if you give it enough time and enough random chance, something good's going to happen. Is that, is that true? If I left a typewriter in a zoo cage with a hundred monkeys for the length of what they say, you know how old the universe is from their perspective now, it's 13.8 billion years. It used to be, you know, there's a billion years. No, do we hear six? Do we hear, do we hear 13? Next it'll be 20 billion. Why? Because they have to give enough time for something randomly to occur to make something happen. In that cage, with that typewriter, with 100 monkeys for 13 billion years, would they randomly type the Encyclopedia Britannica perfectly? No. <laughs> They'd tear it apart, yes. We're giving them the benefit of the doubt that they're actually studious monkeys. And every now and then, you know, they want to they hit the button and hear the ding, right? When you lo- use common sense, it doesn't have a leg to stand on. You see, the Bible doesn't claim to be a scientific book. But when it talks about things that touch science and reality, it speaks accurately in language of the people of that day. And we'll see that in a moment. Well, hopefully you made your way to Genesis. In the beginning, chapter 1, verse 1, we're going to be looking at this. But as we delve into this, I want you to ask yourself those three questions about your own worldview. Maybe you're watching this online. We have people like they were watching... Us in Detroit, right? 
somehow we got connected. There was two people here from Dallas, Texas. They've been watching us for a year and a half online. They just showed up at church. They were doing a business meeting here close and wanted to come. No matter where you're from, you have a worldview. And for those not raised with Christianity, some don't even think they have a worldview. But if I ask you those three questions, how did I get here, why am I here, and where am I going? Those form and fashion what your belief system is, meaning that when you answer those. So if I come from an evolutionary background, how did I get here? Well, through these circumstance and chance, you know, this primordial ooze, somehow there was lightning, boom, you know, there's a big bang, boom, everything came from nothing. When was the last time you saw a great big explosion, design something creatively, but that doesn't matter. All of a sudden, one cell, single cell, turns into an amoeba, it becomes a polywog, it becomes a fish, it gets legs, it leaps out onto the ground, right? It's basically that, that simple adage, from the goo to the zoo to you. That, that's how it works in this process of thinking about evolution. Where did I come from? Well, I'm an accident, and uh, it's survival of the fittest. It's natural selection. If you're strong, you move on. If you're weak, you die. And why am I here if I'm an evolutionist? Well, just to survive. That's why I'm here. I'm to uh, conquer the weak so that I can excel. That's the evolutionary chain. And where am I going? Well, when I die, they're just going to put me in a hole in the ground, and it's over. Annihilation. It's, it's done. It's over. Finito. Now, that gives you a lot of... Uh, positive vibes of motivation to get up in the morning, doesn't it? I'm an accident. I must conquer people at work. If they're weak, I will conquer them. And one day they're going to throw dirt in my face and it's all over. But if you come from a biblical worldview, we were created. We are fearfully and wonderfully made by God, by design. We're here to have fellowship with him and relationship with others. And when I die here, I'm going to open my eyes in heaven and spend eternity with him. Now, which one gets you up in the morning with hope to live a day? So the worldview that you have really affects your daily life because at the bottom line, these things motivate us or propel us through life. So we see the creator in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you have a five-year-old, usually by the time they are five years old, they ask that question, but where did God come from, right? You ever had that conversation if you raise kids? Where did God come from? Well, the Bible says he is self-existent outside of time. He doesn't need anything. It's not like he's a long line of God's. He's an eternal being. Now, this is hard for us because we're linear. Everything has a beginning and an end, not with God. In the beginning, God created out of nothing. The Hebrew here, created, means out of nothing. You and I, everything we create, we take some material to fashion it. But God created out of absolutely nothing the heavens and the earth. (laughs) The expanse of the Milky Way galaxy that we see in our universe. And then all of the universes that they can see with with telescopes and how far-reaching they are. If you can't wrap your mind around Genesis chapter 1 that God created the heavens and the earth in the beginning, you're going to have a difficult time with all of the supernatural stories throughout the Bible. In Joshua chapter 10, he's in a battle. He's conquering the Amorites, but the sun's going to go down, so he wants to finish up. And it only happens one time in the Bible. He says, sun, stand still. He prays to the Lord to stop the universe. (laughs) Now, if you don't believe Genesis 1, you're going to have a hard time with the Joshua story. It's called the long day of Joshua. And it says that it just seemed to, it just like the, now, if you created everything, you just push the pause button as God. He says he measures the universe with the span of his hand, meaning that his all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere present at once, has the ability, if he created the natural laws of this universe, A miracle is when the Lord pauses the natural laws of the universe to do something supernatural, right? Jesus walks on water. Now, we know scientifically that's impossible, right? Your feet are not able to displace water. Water displacement is the engineering that you go to school to learn how to have water displacement. Feet do displace water at 50 miles per hour behind a speedboat, right? You can barefoot ski, 
but he, he steps in and he pauses the natural law of gravity to do something supernatural. He parts the Red Sea, as we'll see tomorrow morning. He is able to do these things because he is this God. Now, people feel pressure as Christians that, you know, I don't want to look foolish to my friends. And so I just believe that God created everything through evolution. Therefore, I have a perfect homogenation between those two things. Now, I'm not here to convince you otherwise. I'm just here to give you another perspective. But the reality is, is that there, there's no need to somehow help God out. There's no need to help God out. For all of these centuries, people have believed that God created everything. Until Charles Darwin came along with a book, Origin of Species. And gave this plausible, from his perspective, idea that everything could come from nothing. The God that we serve, this creator, begins to move in verse 2 on the chaos. The earth was without form and void, and the dark, darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, chaos, in this second Webster Dictionary definition, the confused, unorganized state of primordial matter before the creation of distinct forms compare. Chaos. It appears that in this darkness, that it's without form and void, darkness is on the face of the deep, and it's this picture that nothing has distinction. It's just this mass, if you will, a dark, dark mass. But the Spirit of God begins to hover, begins to work, and that's how God does his creative work, by his Spirit. That's the work he's doing in your life tonight. His Spirit is moving in your life, and even here at creation, a physical creation, but we're his new creation, God is working in our life by his spirit. But the difference of chaos is cosmos. In an orderly, harmonious, systematic universe, everything's in order. When you look at the universe like this incredible time clock that God created, Isaac Newton, the wonderful experimenter and scientist, he had made this this to scale as much as he could in that old school way, this mobile that would move with this planets, and he could move it like this. And he had a friend that was an unbeliever. Isaac Newton was a believer in the Lord, believed that he created everything. And he came in, and the guy was like spinning the mobile around. He's like, this is so cool. Like, and Isaac Newton looked at him and said, it just happened. It just showed up out of nowhere. Nobody does, and the guy smirked because he knew he was giving him a hard time about God being the creator. So for you and I, and this is the thing that's probably the, the strongest argument for intelligent design is the finely tuned universe that even physicists, physicists as they look at these, these are brilliant mathematicians, Nobel Prize winning mathematicians, when they dig in mathematically, they say, uh, most of them are unbelievers, they say, it strangely looks like somebody designed the whole thing, right? Because they can't come out and say it. Look what Stephen Hawkins says. And I don't know if you've read A Brief History of Time when it first came out. And I read A Brief History of Time, and I had to read it a second time to actually try to comprehend uh, the uh, information in it. But Stephen Hawkins says, The remarkable fact is that the values of these numbers seems to have been very finally adjusted, the insinuation, somebody finally adjusted them, or there was intelligent design. Richard Dawkins, which is probably the most fire-breathing atheist, hateful towards the idea of God and creation, even himself said, biology, so you have macro, the universe, and then biology, the micro um, evolution. Biology is the study of complex things that appear to have been designed for a purpose. He won't acknowledge God. But they appear to be designed with a pro, uh, process. The British physicist that teaches at Arizona University, Paul Davies, says, There is for me powerful evidence that there is something going on behind it all, meaning creation. It seems as though somebody has fine-tuned nature's numbers to make the universe. The impression of design is overwhelming that there's an intelligent designer behind it. When I see a really cool looking car, oftentimes I think, man, the designer, right? 
who put that together, the team of designers that put that together. You never think that things just happen unless you pause your brain on rationality and logic. Now, by the way, Darwin's uh, book was more challenged by paleontologists than preachers in the day. You know why? Because paleontologists who have a very, very exhaustive treasure trove of fossils, there is no transitional forms. In the fossil record, there should be transitional forms, correct? Like if there was a bunch of them, the fossil record has absolutely no transitional forms. So the paleontologist came out against him saying, well, we see your idea, but the fossil record does not support what you're saying. Now, we're going to go through six days. Next week, we'll look at the seventh day. But the first day, if you think about it, even today on your calendar, the first day of the week, we'll call it Sunday. Hey, Sunday's a good day to let some light shine, right? Day one in verse three, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. Literally, it says, light be, light was, God says it, speaks it, it happens. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. Called, God called the uh, light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. The Jewish mindset being built upon Genesis chapter one, they look at the start of the day at evening. Sabbath starts at sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. So the, every day is evening and morning the first day. In this sense, God turns on the light. He just says, let there be light. But there's no sun, moon, or stars. So there's no source of light in the solar system. That's going to come a little later. But here the Lord can say, let there be light, because God's uh, illumination itself, he can just let his own radiance shine. Look what it says in Revelation when we see the end of the story and uh, there's a new heavens and a new earth without the sun. It says in Revelation 21, 23, the city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it for the glory of God illuminated. The lamb is its light. The glory of God illuminates heaven in the new heavens and the new earth in the book of Revelation. So here, before he creates the sun, the moon, and the stars, he just says, let there be light. And his light begins to shine, and he has a day, and he calls it night, day and night. The beautiful thing is, is when Jesus showed up on the scene, it tells us that he is the creator of all things. Jesus was there. The Holy Spirit's hovering over the waters. The Father is working in this creation story. And the Son is there as well, because it says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3 through 5, all things were made through him, speaking of Jesus, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the light, life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Jesus was there at creation. Now, when he shows up, he's de described as the light of men. He comes to turn on the lights in our dark life. Because you see, if we're going to get anything out of this creation story, day one, somebody's got to turn on the lights. Imagine right now if this room's pitch black, right? We can't, we can't see each other. We can't uh, read the scriptures. That we're, we're in the dark. And people without the Lord are in the dark. And as soon as they come to Jesus, it's like the lights are turned on. And so the creation story, in a physical sense, the first thing that has to happen you have to turn on the light. So the Lord says, let there be light. Day two, Monday, there's the atmosphere, more accurately, the troposphere in verse 6 through 8. Then God said, let there be a firmament, which is the heavens, in the midst of the waters. Let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters, which are under the firmament, from the waters, which are above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, so the evening and the morning were the second day. The troposphere goes from about five to nine miles, depending on the topography of the elevation where you're at, and goes up to about 47,500 uh, feet, something like that. And it's called, there's, there's six layers of the atmosphere, the Earth's atmosphere. It goes troposphere, then it uh, goes stratosphere, then it goes mesosphere, and it just keeps going up. So the troposphere, trope, means change. So here it says that there's waters below and waters above. And so there's the waters that are evaporating, right? We have solid water, the water being in three forms, liquid, ice, or vapor. So the water in the vapor form goes up and is in the clouds above and the water that is below. 
And this is where, uh, you know, wind and rain and all of these things will happen in the future, though we'll see that the troposphere at this time seems to be a little bit different. So there's a lot of moisture that takes place, and so you have this, this atmosphere that is now created. The privilege of planet Earth, it is the only planet that can inhabit life. At one time, the United States government was spending $100 million consistently to find life in outer space because it's a very unique environment, right, to have life. And I know that people have a hard time with this, but we know the center of our universe is the sun. You know, it holds everything together as far as gravity and warmth and, and various things. But the reality is, is that it appears that planet Earth in all of the galaxies that we know of is the design of God to have a planet to make his creation and have relationship with us. It is a unique planet that we have. As he creates this troposphere, this atmosphere, and continues to build upon it for the third day, we see... There's the earth, sea, and vegetation are created in verse 9. Then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and gathering together of the waters, he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then he said, let the earth bring forth grass, and the herb that yields seed, and the fruit trees that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, so the evening and the morning were the third day. This is the only day that has the double blessing of God saw that it was good. In Israel, most uh, uh, Jews that are, have any religious Um, leanings whatsoever, get married on Tuesday because it's the day of creation with the double blessing and they want the double blessing on their wedding. So they connect it. uh, Our Israeli tour guide was telling us, hey, what day do you think everybody gets married? Well, in America, it's Friday or Saturday. That's when you have weddings, right? But this is uh, based upon this, this story. So you've got the water and now he wants the dry land to appear Earth is 71% ocean, 71%, right? So you have 29% of terra firma that's above water, the land. And so the land now, as he separates these two things, so that the earth, that the land, dry land's called earth. But one of the things that we uh, get in this passage, now very repetitiously in verse 11 through 13, is... Uh, the word seed and according to its kind. I said the Bible doesn't claim to be a scientific book, but when it speaks of things uh, that touch on scientific subjects, it speaks accurately. Meaning, why does it say, it says that in this chapter, it says 10 times according to its kind, according to its kind, according to its kind, according to its kind. That's like saying according to its DNA, according to its DNA, according to its DNA, according to its DNA. The seed has all of the DNA of the apple tree, right? That little apple seed has all of the DNA. Goes in the ground, germinates, boom. Now, all of that, that's like an encyclopedia of genetic information in that seed. A sperm is called a seed because all the genetic code that is in the sperm and the ovum, the 23 chromosomes from a father and a mother that come together for the 46 chromosomes for a human being is that seed, all the genetic code. Now, this is a mind-blowing thing, isn't it, the genetics? If you've had kids, because you're always wondering who are they going to look like, right? So you, it's like you put this, these, this DNA mixed together in this miracle of what God has created in reproduction, But this is so important to know because the whole premise of evolution is that things can change species and mix and match and 
uh, you know, <laughs> a dog's going along and ends up being a bird. I mean, it, it, it can be quite ridiculous. They, because they can't find transitional forms, there are those who purport the evolution of the leap theory. Like, you know, they're evolving for a while and, you know, what, it's a ground animal on four. Now it's flying. Like, where'd that happen? Because there's no transitional forms. You can't find one. If you look at Piltdown Man, Chrome, uh, 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 all the different individuals that they are quite creative at museums and building these like human-like ape creatures, do you know that there's not one single, not one single transitional form that almost every single one of those have been debunked once they looked at it? One, they, they built an entire model of a kind of a, you know, subhuman individual in the evolutionary chain from an extinct pig tooth. They found an extinct pig tooth, and they just, what? how do you get, that's creative design, right? Over millions and millions of years. That's all it takes, maybe even billions and billions of years. A whole lot of time does not create intelligent design. A whole lot of time, random chance, does not create intelligent Informational design, and that's what according to its kind means. That seed from the apple tree is always going to create what? Apple trees. It's not going to go, I'm an orange tree today. It's not happening. The genetic code does not allow it to happen. So 10 times in this passage it says according to its kind. Day four, Wednesday, the solar system. That's a light day, right? Work, what'd you do today, honey? I just created the entire solar system of uh, the Milky Way galaxy. Verse 14, then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons for days and years and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and it was so. Then God made two lights and a greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament, firmament's heavens, and of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. The evening and the morning were the fourth day. So he makes these, uh, the sun, the moon, and the stars, and he creates them. You know, the, the sun is the perfect distance from planet earth, 93 million miles. And it takes, you know, light traveling at 186,000 miles per second to reach the planet. So it takes eight and a half minutes for when the, the sunlight breaks over the hill and you get the first rays of sun. It takes that sun, when it hits your face, it took it eight and a half minutes to get 93 million miles to warm your cheek. That's a long ways. The moon is this perfect size planet that orbits. It helps with our uh, gravitational dynamics, with the, the tides of the ocean. It creates the ocean that has 3% salt, agitating it back and forth like it's this giant washing machine. Salt purifies in this uh, dynamic that God has created. It's about 238,000 miles from planet Earth to the moon. It goes around the moon. And all these things, it says it's for signs and seasons, days and years. So we now know that there's 365 and a quarter days in a year. Every fourth year, we have a leap year. Old school back in the Babylonian times, which was the 360-day model, then they would have a leap month, you know, every few years or so. The moon goes around. We have the lunar month. It goes around the, the uh, earth 27 times, so not quite 30 days. But they're for times and they're for seasons so that we can not only see during the day and have the warmth of the sun and see at night with the moon and the stars. God's laying out how he created all of this in such a mind-blowing way to bring you and I into relationship with him. The entire universe is designed because Jesus is going to come and give his life to save your soul so you can have a relationship with him. All this is for moi. All this is for you. All of this is for what God created. Because the only thing eternal in this universe is the God that we serve and the people that serve him. We're the only eternal creatures. Human creatures 
are the only eternal creatures. Now, as we see this unfold, this astronomer, or excuse me, yeah, um, he's a physicist. His name's uh, Arno Allen uh, Penzance. Astronomy leads us to a unique event, a universe which was crea created out of nothing, one with a very delicate balance needed to provide exactly the conditions to require, required to permit life, and one which has an underlying, one might say, supernatural plan. Physicists, scientists, they don't speak in that ter those terms because they don't want to bring God into science whatsoever. But when they study it mathematically, they say, man, seems like there's a supernatural plan going on here with everything that's created and designed in this universe. Day five, Thursday, sea creatures and birds. Verse 20, then God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded. What? According to its kind. All animal life, according to its DNA, is going to reproduce. And every winged bird, according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Imagine on this day the Lord creating the blue whale and the killer whale and all of these, uh, the marine life of every variety that we have today. And the birds. So it's all the sea creatures in this, on this day and all the winged birds. Next is the land creatures and man himself, verse 24 on the sixth day. Then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing, the beast of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, according to the, its kind, the cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. See the repetition? It's so redundant, but why is it important in our generation? Because it's according to its DNA. It's according to what God put inside of them. And God saw that it was good. So we have now all the land creatures, all the sea creatures, the birds flying. So this, this covers all of the animal kingdom. And God had said after day five, he blessed them that they would be fruitful and multiply. The blessing of God on the, um, the marine life, the birds in the air, and we'll see also for the cattle and everything that lives above water on terra firma. This begs the question about the dinosaurs, Right? I think dinosaurs are so cool, and not only the, the um, history of them and the fossils that we have and what you discover, these m massive creatures, a brontosaurus in the size of it, or the terrifying T-Rex, and people think that there's some kind of disconnect. There's no disconnect. All those creatures have just been created. They're all here on the planet. Now, there are some who believe in the gap theory. Maybe you espouse the gap theory. That is, between verse 2 and uh, verse 3, where there's this, this chaos took place, so to speak, where the earth is without form and without, uh, it's void and without form, and there was darkness on the face of the deep. Some believe that in this gap theory, which, I mean, it's, it's, it's quite a uh, fascinating teaching to get so much from silence. But it basically, there was a time in the past where Satan came and fell, and it destroyed the original creation, and so this whole gap theory uh, thing. And um, there's also another mindset that is, these days are thousand-year increments. It took a thousand years. What's the difference? If you're going to create the solar system in one day, and you're an all-powerful, all-knowing God, or you're going to take a thousand years, what's the difference? Or so you give it... Uh, 13.8 billion years. What's the difference? It's still an in incredible work. But God says he did it in one day. Now, I know for some here, that's just, you go, you know, I love Jesus, but I don't know about this. I think Jesus did come and die on the cross. The Bible says that he was here in the whole creation story, that nothing was made without him. Jesus talks about the creation story. 
about Adam and Eve, and he talks about it like it's a fact. It's, it's not mythology. And that's what's happening in the church today is there's this huge move to go away from the literal teaching of the scriptures and to make things mythological. There's, oh, there's lots of myths and there's this and that. She's, okay, as soon as that happens, what part of this book is a myth and what part's real then? And who, who judges what's the myth and who, what's real? I do, right? I become the judge. But you see, I come to this book, and I'm not to judge. I open the book and read it. This book judges me. I don't judge it. I was having lunch with a pastor who believes in evolution. He doesn't believe the Red Sea parted. He doesn't believe that, you know, Jonah was swallowed by a great sea creature for three days and three nights, as it says in the story of Jonah. And, and I said, I was asking, because these are all the stories that they usually do away with. or they. And he goes, oh, yes, you know, I taught Genesis. It's a poem. It's a creation poem. It's not literal. We, we, we all know factually we evolved. So really, factually, we know that. And I, I said, you, you see the difference between you and I on every Sunday morning. He's a preacher. I'm a preacher. Is I said, when, I have a very simple choice. When I come to this book, I just decide what passage I'm going to teach because I believe it's literally the Word of God. And you come to this book and you have to first decide what you're going to teach and then ask yourself, is it a myth? Is it a poem? Is it not real? You see, folks, if that was the case for God's Word, I would go find something else to do. I'd go sell real estate. Right? I like real estate. I'd go do real estate. Because as soon as you lower the authority of the scriptures, it no longer has authority to speak to the issues of your life. That's why people remove the authority of the scriptures so that that's your interpretation. We know that it's been mistranslated many times. Every single one of these things are lies and ways for you not to trust the authoritative word of God. It goes on in verse 26. Man is created. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image. According to our likeness. Notice the plural in this. Like us. Our. Our likeness. Let them have dominion over the sea, of the, the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. And in the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. First, we want to talk about who's the us and our that we're created, that we bear the image of God in some way. You are an image bearer of the divine being, your creator. And the us, the our, is the trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that have this perfect fellowship in the, these three individuals that make the one true and living God. Like I have three fingers here, if I only had that on my hand. There's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father, and the Spirit is not the Son. They are all individuals, but the three of them make the true one. Uh, it's this unified deity of the uh, triune God, three in one. That's who we are created in the image of. And what is that image? Because we know that Jesus tells the woman at the well in John 4, 4 that God does not have flesh and bone. God is spirit. God is this, uh, you know, $5 word of incorporeal, which means that, you know, you're, there's, there's no physical attribute to you. And so we have to look at it and um, what is meant by that. So we are spiritually, meaning that the real you is not physical, because the real you, when this body dies, the real you goes on to heaven. You get a new body, the scriptures say, eternal in the heavens, a new body. So the real you is not physical, but spiritual. Your personality, who you are. Now people ask me, you know, when we get to heaven, are we going to know each other? And I always smile because I say, well, I, we know each other now, right? They go, yeah, we know each other now. I, I, I hope we're not more stupid in heaven than we are here, right? I know you now. I'll know you there. And uh, so I don't think we'll need name badges in heaven. I think I'm just going to know, hey, there's John. John's, John's here. He made it. Praise the Lord. Glad he got in the door. 
right? There's the three surprises of heaven. There, there's those who get there and you're like, oh, dang, I didn't think he'd make it, right? <laughs> and then there are those who are not there, here, like, where's Sally? We thought, oh, she didn't make it, oh, no. And the third surprise is that I'm there, that I actually made it by God's grace. Okay? So we are spiritually, mentally, we have three dimensions to our being that God has that he gives to us. A, a person is defined as a, an individual that has thoughts, emotions, and a will. I have reasoning capacities where I think through things, unlike the animal kingdom, that are given instinctual um, inclinations. They operate by instinct. They birds go south. I mean, they just have this, God hardwires instinct. But humans reason. They have thoughts. God, God has thoughts. He reasons. We also have emotions. And the scriptures talk about the Lord being angry. Or this, in this sense, he's very happy. He's a, and, and it was good, right? He has emotions. He gives those to us. Obviously, all these things are imperfect. My reasoning is imperfect. My emotions are imperfect. They're not always lined up. And then I have a will. I can make decisions. Based on my thoughts and my emotions, I can make a decision. God does the same thing. He has a will. So we are mentally, socially, we're created in his image that God has fellowship within the trinity of, of heaven itself. And he also wants socially relationship with us. So we can socially have relationship with God. We can socially have relationship with others. This is very unique because uh, evolution gives no place for it, and that is morally. God is a righteous, moral God. The, the, the Judeo-Christian ethic is a moral ethic that talks about all moral issues in a very strong way to declare what God's heart is about it. And so when we have the ability to line ourselves up with, by his grace and by his spirit, morally, to do what's right. And there, there's no moral, that's what, when you're talking to somebody about evolution, evolu morality has no place in evolution. And that's why the people that on the left that have embraced all this stuff, that's why they don't punish crime and they let people out of prison that are guilty. Why? Because their worldview is each person cannot be held accountable for their actions because you are what you are genetically and by your environment. So if you genetically, this is how you're wired, you're a murderer or you're whatever, and you, your environment, so who can hold you responsible? Because you are not, you do not have a will. You do not have free will. You are instinctually in evolution acting like the highest apex predator on planet earth. That's their mindset. So when you try to reason with them, it's like it doesn't work. That's why they're trying to change all the names because they don't think these things are immoral. So a pedophile is an adult who touches a child, a minor, in a sexual way, right? Well, that's, that's offensive because you see they're genetically wired to like children. And their environment, maybe they're exposed to that. So now they want you to not call them a pedophile. They want you to call them MAP. You know, uh, it is minor, mi yeah, minor uh, attracted person, minor attracted person. So you're a MAP, minor attracted person, because that's not as offensive as pedophile. So you, ha you have to you know, change all of the, you have to change the terminology to line up with your worldview, world right? So that's what they do. But we are morally created in his image. We are also creative individuals. God's creative and we are creative. People that are creative with music and art and structure and building things. And we love to see things developed. And we love this dynamic of beauty. Also, authoritatively, God has authority, but he gives it to us. Notice that man is given dominion. That means authority over all of God's creation. We are stewards of planet earth. So we need to be good stewards and use the resources. Planet Earth's resources are for us. That's, that's what God gave them to us for. They're for us. So once again, the evolutionary thing, why is it that we're on water restrictions in Southern California after the, the, the drought ended last year? Not this winter, which we also have enough. But you know, you'll still be on water restriction. You know why? It's, it's now, this is like a hundred-year storm they're having in the mountains. You know why? Because... They served, they, they, they worship the creation, so we have to serve the creation. So there's a snail, an invasive species in the Sacramento River. And so they will not store water. I, I, had, I had lunch with a California, he's an assemblyman from up north. 
He's a rancher, common sense guy, been in Sacramento. I mean, they're pretty powerless. They can do nothing as a conservative guy. He's been there for four to six years. And he says, we've given all the blueprints to capture all the water for California's 40 million people. And it's set on the governor's desk because he won't sign it because the environmentalist will sue, sue, sue. It'll never get out of the courts. Why? Because they're more concerned about a snail in the Sacramento River. And they're making literally this snail has dominion over California. Who should have dominion over California? The humans should be good stewards of the resources we're given. Right? I mean, even a child can figure that out. We will not use the word moron. Oh, I said I wasn't going to use it. I ended up using it. I'm sorry. It's so ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. So we have energy independence. We have enough petroleum. Do you know in America, we have enough petroleum oil, which is in the earth. It's a resource. We have dominion, right? For a thousand years. A thousand years. We have more than that of coal. It's like ridiculous how much coal we have. But, you know, the CO2 is warming the atmosphere, and so we have, we have climate change. Climate change. Do we have climate change? The provost, physicist, professor at Caltech just wrote a book called Unsettled, which debunks the entire thing and says none of it's scientific. None of it. But at every narrative you will hear, Recently, three weeks ago, a story came out. Miami, Florida, it's going to be underwater in five years. Yeah, so it, I mean, if you really believe that, if, if President Obama really believed the climate change stuff that he was dealing, do you buy a $14 million house on Martha's Vineyard that's going to be underwater? Right? I mean, if you really believe it, I promise you we'll be here in 30 years and Miami is going to be A-OK. Because Al Gore said it was going to happen back in 2008, right? It's to terrify you. It's ridiculous. The climate change hysteria. This is what we know about climate change. In the recorded history of 170 years that we've been taking, uh, basically keeping records, there has been a climate change of one and a half Fahrenheit, Fahrenheit degrees, or one degree Celsius. And they think it might bump to two degrees Fahrenheit in the next five years. And you, it's like, you're like, so what? The temperature went from this morning, right, at, at 42 degrees up to fit and changed 20 to 25. In the summer, it goes from what? I mean, it can change. I'm from Idaho, right? In, in the wintertime, it could get 25 below. In the summertime, it could be 106. So what? Do you know what happens with more CO2 in the atmosphere? It's the greening of the planet. Plants, it's fascinating. They love CO2. Right? It's, it's food for them. So they do these experiments like this plant, this, this uh, laboratory over here has this amount of CO2 and this one. And, and it just takes off in growth. So more plant life and vegetation is going to grow. But we're going to, what's happening? An entire worldview says humans should bow down to the earth, Mother Earth, and let it rule us. No, let's get some water and water our lawn this summer, eh? Right. We, we, could, uh, we could just open up our oil reserves. Once again, stewards of anything need to be responsible. Right? You need to be responsible with those resources. But it would be great to see as it got under $2 for the first time in our uh, nation and sometime because they just opened up all the petroleum. You cannot function a modern society with windmills and solar panels. It will not provide. It will not work. So the Lord says to be fruitful and uh, multiply well, lastly, he gives them the resources they need. In verse 29, it says, And God said, See, I have given you every herb, my friend. He didn't know any Bible verse except this one. He, as he smoked a joint at work all the time, telling me, God, God gave the herb, man. 
I'm like, that's not what he was talking about, bro. That yields seed which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be for food, also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, to everything that creeps on the earth, in which there is life. I have given you every green herb for food, and it was so. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. I just want a couple of wrap-out thoughts here when it comes to now the microevolution. Because microevolution says that within a species, there can be evolution. And this is true, right? Within microevolution, not macroevolution, but micro. Look at the uh, mutations or the differences or the variety, let's say, in the dog species. I mean, you got a little hairless chihuahua and you have a Rottweiler. I mean, those are, those are big, big varieties of species. But at the end of the day, they're both dogs, Right? So they love micro uh, uh, evolution. They love to talk about the finch that in one certain scenario gets a bigger beak out of necessity. I'm like, well, within the variety, at the end of the day, the finch, even if his beak grew a little bit, he's still a finch, right? He's not, he's not a, you know, pterodactyl. I mean, he's still, still just a little finch. Darwin said this, if it could be demonstrated that any complex organ existed, which could not possibly have been formed by numerous successive slight modifications, my theory would absolutely break down, but I can find no such case. Charles Darwin. I like to go to the source of people that are on the other side of things. And Evolution News, right? Do you subscribe? Evolution News. And, and Science Today, this is the article that was in Evolution News in 2020. Crisis in the chemistry of origins. Oh. The halls of biology, all is not well in the halls of biology. We have gained a far deeper appreciation of the extremely complex micro, uh, macro molecules, such as proteins and nucleic acids. The enlarged understanding of these complexities have precipitated new suggestions that the DNA mechanism may be more complex and the molecular organization more intricate and information-filled than was previously thought says this, how can the mere interaction of simple chemicals, these are evolutionists who are writing this article telling us this, how can the mere interaction of simple chemicals in the primordial ocean have produced life as it is presently understood? That is the question. The signs do not bode well for the standard answers given, and some investigators are suggesting that our two approaches will not converge. They want they want to go the science route and reject all of intelligent design. But in 1953, Francis Crick and James Watson, who won the Nobel Prize for Physiology and Medicine for discovering DNA. And these two guys that discovered this, um, you know, my papers got stuck. Uh, discovering this, this is what they said. Once they found the information code in the helix of the DNA, the immensity of complex, coded, precisely sequenced information is absolutely staggering. The DNA evidence speaks of intelligent, information-bearing design. For life to form by chance is mathematically, this is guy is not a believer, he's a scientist. For life to form by chance is mathematically, virtually impossible. That's what the scientist said who does not believe in God. As a matter of fact, he was so troubled after his discovery, that he wrote a book. And he wrote this book, Crick proposed the book that's called Life Itself, Primordial Life, was shipped to Earth billions of years ago in spaceships by supposedly more evolved, therefore advanced aliens. He embraces a theory called panspermia. This comes from the Greek words pan, all, and sperma, seed, meaning that the seeds of life are all through the universe. Here's aliens cruising through space, just spreading their sperma all over, the, all over the place. Because as a scientist that wants nothing to do with God, he wrote a book to declare, I discovered DNA. It is obvious there's intelligent design, and I refuse to believe in the God of the Bible and his message that he created it. Therefore, I'm going with the alien proposal. 
How is it that very, very smart people can be that dumb? Because, you know, if you don't want to, as soon as I admit there is a God, then I have to ask myself, what does he want of me? Right? In Psalm 19, the Bible says that the heavens are a preacher with an international, or I should say universal language. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. When man looks at the universe macro, or he looks at the intricacy of the microscopic design of God, it shouts that there's a creative designer. It shouts to their soul that he probably wants to interact with you, and they want to know about it. Now, Hebrews tells us a believer looks at it this way. Once again, this is a very scientific statement about a declaration of faith. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so God spoke things into existence, so that the things which are seen, get this, everything you see physical, were not made of things which are visible. He's talking about the atomic structure of everything that we know. The atom is invisible. It's so small. As a matter of fact, this solid piece of wood, they say there's more air in between there, which I'm not a scientist, nor do I understand all the atomic particles. But the writer of Hebrews says, we, by faith, God made everything you can see with your, your eyes, all the solid stuff, and yet it was made out of an, a building block, an atom that's invisible. Not visible. So, once again, the Bible's not a scientific book, but when it speaks about certain things, it is very accurate according to its day of the language that it uses. But what's the unbeliever? What's Mr. James Crick, who believes in panspermia, that the uh, aliens are spreading their sperm through the universe? Think of him as you see what Paul said in Romans chapter 1 as we conclude. For since the creation of the world... His, God's, invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. God says mankind, men and women all over the planet throughout history, are without excuse because a creative designer shouts to their soul from creation. Verse 21, because although they knew God, they knew it was God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened, professing to be wise, they became fools. When I reject the truth of the obvious creator, Romans says that God speaks to two people in two ways. He speaks with creation from without and your conscience within. So if you've never heard the gospel, when you stand before God, you're going to give an account based on his creation and based on the conscience within, because the amount of knowledge you have is what you are held accountable for. When you think of the beginning of everything, this clarifies in the beginning, male and female. Do you think that the, our culture needs to hear that right now? There's male and female. There's not a, you know, 70 genders or 100 genders or fluid genders. I'm not feeling, you know, you know, whatever. And, and there are those who say, and because where it's stated in chapter 1, and then he builds that out in detail in chapter 2, that, that man was some, you know, uh, basically a mix of male and female singular culture, uh, cre creation, and then God pulled that. that um, that's not what it's saying. It's saying God had a plan to create a man and a woman, and that was the plan. And the more you get in line with God's work, word, the more distinct, clear, and functional your life becomes because you become in touch with reality as it is. In touch with reality. God's word reveals to us everything that we need to get the most out of this life. But it starts with who made you and who wants a relationship with you. This book's about drawing you close to him and him coming close to you. Father, we ask that you would uh, take this time and that you would build us up by your grace. That you would take your word, that you would write it on our hearts.
that you do a work that um, through this series, Lord, of just the beginning, how you lay everything out in creation and family as the building block. And at every turn, Lord, you show us what honors you, what pleases you, what your heart is, and what doesn't. So, Lord, we pray that you would build us up, that your word shall not return void. It will accomplish in our hearts the purpose that you have sent it, Lord, by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. And uh, after this uh, closing song, if you need prayer, the prayer team will be down here. They'd love to pray for you and minister to you and build you up. Uh, by God's grace, don't leave without just getting a touch from the Lord. May the Lord keep you in his uh, loving kindness as you walk with him this week. <clears throat>